0: The world has changed, and work has to. Many people are reassessing both their personal and professional lives. The truth is that the personal and professional worlds have always been intertwined. People never left their humanity outside the front door of the office. Now, due to the increase in remote work, there may not even be a physical office, and the integration of personal and professional life is more obvious today than ever before. Work is being done at home, but so is taking care of the household or the kids, and there's a lot of life for people to sort out. It's a challenging time for sure, but also one filled with potential. Companies have an opportunity to take care of their employees in new ways, or if they're reluctant to change, employees can leave for other opportunities. Instead of an outdated and unhelpful mentality about controlling workers, companies have to adjust to make sure employees have the freedom they need to do their best work. Part of this is making sure that work culture is good, Leaders don't try to control employees, they make sure their path is smooth to do the work. It's also about providing the right tools at the opportune time to get work done efficiently. Most people are decent and hardworking, they want to be productive and to be respected. If companies take care of their core needs, employees will produce, increase ROI, innovate and care for their customers. On this episode of IT Visionaries, Pretty Samal, the VP of Engineering at HashiCorp, and Mark Thiele, the CEO and founder of Edgevana, discuss how companies can transform to create more productive work environments in this new era of increased personal and professional integration. Enjoy the episode. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, we have one of the special roundtables. Joining us today, we have the VP of Engineering at HashiCorp, Preeti Samal. And with us as well is Mark Thiele. Mark, you are the CEO and founder of Edgevana. Preeti, Mark, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thank
1: you very much for having us. Happy to be here.
0: All right. So for Any of our listeners who have not heard from you before or did not hear your original episodes, I'd love for you each to introduce yourselves and what you guys do. So I'm going to start with Preeti. Preeti, go and introduce yourself, let our audience know a little about HashiCorp and what you do there.
2: Hi, everyone. I'm glad you're here listening to us. Uh, I'm Preeti Somal, and I lead our engineering, security, and uh, IT organizations here at HashiCorp. Uh, If you haven't heard about us, we are an infrastructure software company rooted in open source. Uh, We've got eight open source projects now, ranging from Vagrant and Packer on the developer side to Terraform, Vault Console, Nomad, uh, and two recent additions, uh, Waypoint and um, Boundary. And um, I'm sure you can check out more details, and we'll kind of talk through this a little bit as well today. And prior to HashiCorp, I've uh, sort of spent my life in tech, uh, working both on the side of the enterprise software companies, as well as a stint at Yahoo, where uh, I was responsible for a lot of the developer productivity and sort of employee experience pieces. So really uh, glad to be here talking through this uh, topic
0: today. Mark, introduce yourself. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, Hello, everybody. Uh, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Mark Teeley. I'm CEO and founder of Edgevana. Uh, Edgevana is a company looking to effectively cloudify the acquisition and deployment development of global, globally distributed technology solutions. So think of you know, companies trying to deploy edge or trying to deploy um, systems re- that require data residency in countries all around the world, et cetera. We help companies uh, achieve those kinds of um, activities and my background has been one of a, a really uh, kind of a love affair with the IT industry in general if i had three legs they would all be hip deep in cloud edge computing and infrastructure that includes everything all the way up to the physical building of the data center i've h- been hugely involved in the industry throughout my career for, starting with green grid i think was the first official organization i participated in i founded a data center organization with my brother-in-law called Data Center Pulse, where we did sort of the equivalent of consumer reports type activities uh, in the data center industry. And um, I was a part of IBM Cloud Minds for several years uh, on the board of CNCF, Cloud, uh, Cloud Native Compute Foundation. And uh, I was the chair for the technical group at the International Data Center Authority. So, um, you know, beyond that, uh, a career helping companies like HP and VMware, where Preeti and I worked together uh, for a little while and a couple of other companies building out global infrastructure. Again, everything from data centers to, to cloud infrastructure. And, and over the last uh, five years of my career before starting Edgevana, working on Edge almost exclusively.
0: So for those of you listening, this is exactly why we brought these two people together. Preeti's Mark's, both of their experiences span such a wide array of topics and subjects. But like at the core, you guys work on things that help make developers scale faster, right? Scale faster, move faster, get infrastructure up faster, which makes this subject so timely. So what's happening today right now is a lot of people are calling it the great resignation. What's happening is more people than ever are leaving their work, which is interesting cuz we came out of we came out of lockdown now everyone's leaving work changing jobs i think i don't know people have reassessed their lives i don't know exactly what the reasoning is but what's playing a part that did not play a part in the past not only is it about managers work work life balance but the toolkits people use and some of the and that is and that is something that i don't think we've seen before so the employee experience is now a big deal uh, companies need to worry about their employee experience and the employee experience typically centers around the toolkits that you have and you know of course the work culture but the tools are part of it you know pretty I will start with you I would love for you to hear your perspective on what is happening in regards to employee experience and the tooling that people have access to what do you, what do you suspect is going on um I'd love to hear your perspective on why are so many people now changing jobs in how much is the, of this is a factor of selecting jobs like oh, i'll I'll work with you because you have the toolkit I more prefer.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think I think of this problem in kind of two dimensions, right? One dimension is clearly just the remote culture, remote work, and uh, the toolkit they're in, right? So coming out of the pandemic, of course, you know people have uh, recognized that remote can be done successfully. And that's something that for us at HashiCorp, we were built as remote first, and we've been really uh, sort of fortunate to have been founded that way. But I think one dimension is certainly uh, sort of individuals wanting to stay in a remote work environment and and really looking for an optimal uh, sort of approach that companies have found there. And then the second, and I think uh, also very, very critical dimension is how difficult is it for me as an engineer to do my job? Uh, am I able to kind of focus on building those scalable, secure experiences? Am I able to innovate rapidly? And you know, there the the toolkits around. Hey, I don't I don't really care about secrets management, and can somebody stand up Vault for me and kind of deal with that and just make it happen? Or I don't really need to worry about my cloud identity and access management. You know, I come into this company, I'm a, I've got an SSO account. I just want to be able to deploy my code, right? Those are the kind of things where what we're seeing is the toolkit uh, is becoming really, really critical. How quickly can I go from idea to actually having an alpha beta available in a way that can scale and is secure. And how does the, the environment I have within the company help me with that? Uh, so one of the, the patterns we've been seeing uh, honestly for a few years is kind of this, this um, evolution of a platform builder developer persona that will take tools like the ones that HashiCorp builds and kind of set up these sort of guard environments so that the developers Uh, don't need to worry about that. They're just sort of focusing on, uh, you know, I need to kind of build this app to do something and and that's all I'm going to do. So environments where it's easier for me to get my work done, uh, the barrier to innovation is really low. Um, Those are the attractive environments. That's what, in my mind, sort of the engineering community is really looking for.
0: No, I mean I see it all the. T- I feel like I see it all the time. And then Mark, you know, a lot of your experiences have been working with some of the bigger customers. You know, I'd love for you to un- like share your perspective here because a lot of companies, I know, they want to move to this move fast, innovative place, right? But there's still there's still definitely old guard CIOs, CTOs in place that want to put more controls. And the thought of someone running uh, Terraform and spinning up an instance and building a code. Even if it's a hypothesis, right? It's like a test to see, like, could this work better? Right. It kind of freaks them out. I've, I, know, I know for a fact that a company down the road here in Raleigh, big, big tech company, more than 10,000 employees, they told me that if they want to set up an instance, they have to like, send in a support ticket. And the support ticket goes to their internal whatever, whoever approves this. And then that person sets up the infrastructure so that this developer could possibly test whatever it is they're going to test. What do you see happening there, Mark? Like, there because there's certainly like this drive for innovation, but there's also this like I want to control everything, so they're at conflict with each other.
1: Yeah, and, and actually, you know, um, sort of underlying the answer, the broader answer to your question, uh, and I fully support uh, everything that Preeti uh, mentioned, is that this notion of control has been exacerbated by the fact that most of us would be leaders. And I say would-be leaders because, frankly, if you're a leader, this isn't your problem because you don't have the issue of of worrying about control of your staff. But for would-be leaders who were threatened in general in a traditional workplace, the idea of having a distributed workforce or a workforce that could make choices um, in real time, well, frankly, scares the crap out of them, right? They want to know what the employee is doing. They want to know why the employee is doing it. They want to know what the employee is not doing. They want to know what the employee is doing that doesn't have anything to do with work. (laughs) And they are neglecting the fact that the point of working remote, and, and I shouldn't say the point, a major point of working remote or working from anywhere is that life has always intruded on work. But depending on where you work, work has made it harder to have life or not. Does my boss care if I spend 15 minutes talking to the dry cleaner while I'm at the office? Does my boss care if I spend 15 minutes longer after lunch um, stopping by the car wash because I need my car washed because I'm taking my girlfriend out to dinner tonight or whatever the case may be? Life intrudes on work. The whole point for many people working remotely is to allow life to occur and to allow work to occur where life isn't intruding. And most people are very generous with that distribution. Most people are more than happy to put in more than the eight or nine or 10 hours that the average organization expects of them because of that assumed flexibility. And so when a manager or a leader decides to try to collapse that and say, no, we're taking your office and we're putting it in your home and I'm putting a camera above your desk so I can keep an eye on what the hell you're doing all day long, that changes that dynamic. And so how does that relate to the bigger story of this resignation issue that you mentioned at the top of the show is that, and there, there is no single answer. There's a fine fabric that keeps different personalities doing or not doing what they do. And those bits of fabric can keep you doing something a little bit longer or make you quit a little bit faster. But if you really don't like your boss or some of the people you work with, but you have a really good friend in the office and there's a foosball table you get to use every now and then, that might keep you on the job a few more months, might even keep you on the job another year, especially if the job market's that great. But if you don't have those things, if those things aren't tying you to the actual workplace anymore, because you're working remote, then all of a sudden, other things take on even more importance. Like I could put up with a slow load of the ERP system that I'm in for six hours out of eight all day long. <laughs> I, could, I could put up with, having to go through a change control committee for releasing a container into production when I had all of those other things. But when I don't, those become the only thing I have to focus on. So I've seen
0: that firsthand, by the way. So my wife used to work for one of the big four. If anyone wants to look her up, you can figure out which one of the big four accounting firms it is. You got a 25% <laughs> chance of guessing it. If you go on LinkedIn, you have a 100% chance of getting it. At the time, she wasn't working in the office because It wasn't remote work, but she just didn't go in that day and she was going to log in. Well, she had to go VPN and route her way into the office in Raleigh, which then went to a central file storage. Like So they didn't use, so Preeti, you're going to roll your eyes. They didn't use like a public cloud document storage system. They used an internal tool. And this server, maybe it was in New York. I have no idea. So the way she was working on a file was through VPN into the office in North Carolina up to New York, working on an Excel file where, and like, I would be there and watching her open it. She would open it, click open and go like make coffee. I was like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, it's not going to yeah. open for at least 10 minutes. I'm like, I cannot believe this is actually modern. Are we, what year are we in? Like, this is can't be possible, <laughs> but there are companies still doing that. Pretty. why are these companies not transforming faster?
2: You know, I feel like any, any logical, reasonable person is kind of wanting to transform, right? I think uh, change is hard and uh, how can we help with that change? One piece that's really clear is that the, the transformation has definitely uh, become a higher priority because of this great resignation, because of the remote work piece and for companies to thrive, they have to change. We are finding that really sort of starting to think about that change in phases and embrace sort of the, the cloud pieces and do that thoughtfully where you've got uh, sort of tooling that does help you secure, does help you put in the policies and the guardrails, right? And And this is where... Uh, you know, we see a lot of customers of ours kind of using products like Terraform and Vault and Console for network security, etc. It's possible. You just have to start. You have to kind of make that first step. And you know, Albert and Mark, it's going to be really interesting. Is this great resignation going to be, you know, yet another sort of trigger point that expedites that that uh, transformation, right? Um, we see there's a very clear skills shortage as well so if i'm on the other side if i'm the engineer and you know i'm not feeling productive why would i stay uh, there's like no shortage of sort of places i can go to and feel like i'm having the impact that i would want to have right
0: yeah and that's a common thing among engineers is they want to build they want to build and build great things they don't want to I mean, no one wants to be part of a process, even our flagship sponsor. I mean, this is actually true of every position I feel like because one of the things you'll hear about the great sales reps is they constantly say, I don't want to spend my time updating Salesforce. I want to be talking to customers, solving problems, closing deals. And depending on someone's requirements of them, like they might spend their whole day like, hey, I need you to log every call. I need you to record these things. I need you it's it's like you get so stuck and pulled into like, I call it administrating the administration. It's like, you want me to spend most of my time, give you information just so you know what I'm doing, but you actually are going to do nothing with this information because, because you'll just be like, Oh, good job. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like you can't, you can't tell I'm doing a good job some other way. Like it's, it's it seems ridiculous.
2: Yeah. Right. And I think the, the irony here is, uh, that the, the effect is exactly the opposite of what the employer wants, right? Like at the end of the day, you, you want to make progress against your business priorities and you want to get the sort of software written, but some of these sort of inefficiencies just cause that to take even longer. And uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I, I'm a huge believer in put the guardrails in place, you know, build the internal platforms that you need to. There's a lot of tooling, including ours, that helps you kind of do it now, and then get out of the way of the developer, you know, let, let them sort of focus on coding and innovating. And frankly, in our industry right now, it, fast movers have the advantage, you know, it's, uh, it's no longer sort of the case where you can afford to not innovate rapidly. And, and we're seeing that all around us.
0: Mark, are you seeing that also, you're, you're shaking your head. I know Edgevana works more on the infrastructure side. Are you seeing that as well? Because that usually is the first thing that has to happen in order for like the engineers to be able to have access to resources, do what they need to do. You know, what are you seeing on your side?
1: Yeah. It's, it's really across the board, right? I mean, it's, it's super easy because I'm I have an IT background. So it's super easy to talk about, um, you know, IT technologists or engineer, true engineers and the impact. But I think the frustrating part um, and, and this applies, right? If, so if you're an engineering manager, and you happen to be watching this or you're for an HR manager, and you happen to be watching this. I hope you get the, the same kind of value out of this, but there are a lot of things that we've known for decades. Yeah. We've known for decades that taking naps in the afternoon is actually good. How many companies offer naps in the afternoon for their employees?
0: No idea, but I know that I know that I worked at a company where we had a Chinese exchange student and she napped during the middle of the day and people looked at her like she was an alien. Like, what is she doing? Exactly. <laughs> she exactly. Just took a power nap at her desk, and then we get back on it and cranked.
1: It's pretty much accepted that cubicles are a bad idea. Yep. How many companies still have cubicles? Right.
0: Well, it maximizes square footage. Mark, they gotta maximize that square footage.
1: That's right, and it's and it's short sighted, right? It's using the wrong incentive in your effort to try to improve the company, and and it's you know penny wise pound foolish, and avoiding improving how your customers and your employees can interact with your systems more efficiently and more pleasantly is an enormous missed opportunity. Whether you're Walmart and you have an interface to how you sell your products, or you're an engineering firm that uh, insists that everybody fill out uh, 500 uh, values in JIRA every single time they update something, or whether you're somebody that has a Salesforce window that has 50 fields that the salesperson is supposed to fill out for every contact they make, you're missing the forest for the trees, right? And um, there are studies that have been done since before the aughts, and certainly since then that have showed that productivity is not exponentially impacted, but it is impacted more than the linear availability or performance of a system Mm -hmm. would indicate, right? So in other words, if you and I, Preeti and I are both working on the same system, and um, I have 20% slower performance than she does. I'm not just 20% less productive during the time that we're both in that. I might be 50 or 60% less productive than she is because it has an exponential impact exactly because of the it example that you gave about your wife, right? So, what did your wife do? So, are you going to tell me that every time she went and got a cup of coffee, that that coffee only took exactly the amount of time it took for that file to open. No, no. And let's not even talk about the wasted time waiting for the file, regardless of whether coffee occurred.
0: Yeah. No, the computer was literally frozen. It would spin there. Right.
1: Because it's like accessing
0: right. the resource, confirming yep. that you are who you say you are, because I get it. It's right. It's a secure file. It's got a company's financials in there, like insider trading. Like a lot of regulations are in place. I get it. But it should have happened
1: faster. <laughs> right. But in the end, you find ways to fill the void, right? Correct. If I'm watching TV, what do I do during the commercials? Yeah. Well, that's what happens all day when your work tools aren't what you would consider to be successful or pleasant to work in. And as you've already said, as Preeti already said, and I would wholeheartedly agree with, people want to be able to feel like they're productive when they're working. And if they can't get that, they're going to go somewhere else where they can find it.
0: So Preeti, let's talk a little bit about, you know, you guys, you, Mark, we've all discussed this. We agree that this is changing the way people think about what work is and how they want to experience work. From a senior side, though, from a manager side, from a person who is responsible for the performance of your team, how do you go about evaluating performance capability in the modern day? Because like, I agree with both of you, like no one really wants to be monitored, yet you are responsible for the performance of your team, right? Like, so. You know, we'll start with Preeti, because I think you have like a massive engineering base that has to report to you. You know, someone's going to say like, hey, wh- how is this person doing? You got to tell them something. Like, <laughs> they're doing great. <laughs> they're doing bad. You know, how's it going?
2: Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great topic, Albert. I think, you know, fundamentally, the principle we follow is engineers have the right intent. Uh, They want to do good work and they are here because they believe in our vision, our charter, our open source ethos, and the work we're doing in building the products and tooling, right? So with that principle in mind, uh, the way that we kind of assess performance is we essentially kind of set these quarterly roadmaps and, and goals. And we look at, you know, were we able to achieve what we set out to do, if not sort of what came up? Because let's face it, we, we live in a very fluid environment things come up, right? So the, we're not dogmatic about our goals, but we certainly sort of set these targets and then we're assessing against them and taking into account, you know, what else might have sort of come up that, that impacted uh, the work that did get done. And honestly, at the end of the day, we really believe that engineers take pride in shipping software, right? Like we at at HashiCorp, you know, within engineering, we we constantly are asking ourselves, why are we here? We are here because we want to build great software. And how do we just enable our engineers to build that? And then, you know, definitely we need to assess how we did against that. But for the most part, we we really just try and set the roadmaps and, and kind of get out of the way. One other thing I wanted to just really quickly touch on, Albert, is, you know, we've talked about tooling quite a bit, but it's we also believe that the process and the culture of how remote work gets done is really important. And I know last time we talked a little bit about the writing culture we have here and Uh, Since then, we've actually shared more publicly uh, on, uh, we have a site called how HashiCorp works. And so, you know, if you kind of look at that writing culture, how it manifests in engineering is we write RFCs and they go out to a list and you kind of go on this list and you just see all the RFCs that have gone out and you're like blown away with how much work is happening and just getting shared so transparently as well.
0: What is an RFC?
2: It's something, RFC stands for request for comments, and it's like a technical document that sort of outlines what problem we're going to solve, how we're going to solve it, and it sort of is written as a project or a feature area is getting spun up.
0: It's like an idea board of all the things that people want to build, solve, or create.
2: Sort of, sort of. In the olden... Olden, uh, you know, we, we used to have these things called like design documents and functional specs and so on. And so, yeah, this is sort of an iteration of that.
1: Oh, that is really cool. She meant to say when Mark was young. <laughs> <laughs> you
0: know, that's really awesome. You know, and I agree. I think no amount of tooling can change the culture, right? The tooling and the culture both have to match up. Like if you have bad tools, but a great culture people feel bad. But if you also have a, you know, the vice versa, there's something missing there too. So like your culture has to be there. You know, one of the things that I think about hearing the two of you talk about is this idea that, you know, engineers want to build great things. I'm curious, you know, for HashiCorp, we'll start there. Does HashiCorp publicly state when things are going to be done before engineers... Basically, before engineering gets to say, like, when things are going to be done. I'm curious on that subject.
2: We do. And uh, actually, think about it in multiple layers. One is, you know, we have our annual conferences and and we'll talk at these conferences about not just sort of what we've achieved, but also a little bit sort of forward looking, what we're looking at next. Uh, And then on our open source tooling as well, uh, you know, we've started sort of, getting into this rhythm of publishing, kind of what's coming down, uh, what's coming next as well. And finally, on the enterprise software side, uh, you know, very often customers will kind of ask us for roadmaps. And so we do have, uh, you know, we do give some visibility into sort of what's next on our uh, uh, radar as well.
0: No, that makes sense. So the reason why I asked that is because that Oftentimes, a publicly declared timeline will put a level of pressure on engineers um, that they will feel. I think that's part of every engineering job. I think there's probably no company that's like, hey, you can create something when you create it. Like you have to. <laughs> typically, there's time is time is a factor. You know, and as we are, we're having this discussion, you know, I start thinking about all the things that companies need to do to make their employee experience better. One of the things that companies do embark on is developing their own software you know if they have a problem if there's no product market fit they make something for themselves to say this is going to be our solution we know that there's many micro internal software like the the bigger the company the more there is like someone built a little app or a config that that does this and we even see this in erp implementations right ERPs, crms they're all highly highly configurable they come out of the box they're able to do specific things, but wait, what do companies want to do? Like, I want to customize the workflow. I want to do this. I want to do that. And they usually make some type of internal adjustments. How do you see this unfolding in regards to how fast things are changing? Do you think the next wave of work tools are going to be built from inside companies? Or do you think vendors from the outside are still going to be the ones to come up with the big ideas that, you know, transform the way we do things? Mark, I'll start with you because you have an interesting seat because you sit working with so many different companies.
1: Yeah I don't I don't know that there's a perfect answer I, I'd love to pick one thing but I think what's likely to occur over the next 5 years is we're actually going to see an explosion of new applications internal to organizations unique to those organizations because of low code and no code yeah right if I would guess I don't want to speak for Preeti but I imagine if we were having a conversation about low code and no code 4 or 5 years ago she would have said, Yeah, it's no big deal. It's too pre it's too immature. There's really nothing, anybody you still have to be a real developer to make something with it. You have to understand too much about architecture to make something work and how it would use storage and all you know security and all that kind of stuff. Well, literally, there's been more improvement in low-code and no code in the last year than there was in the previous five years. Yeah. And that's not going to slow down. And so companies are going to have to figure out frameworks because this becomes sort of the equivalent of accepted shadow IT, for lack of a better description. And companies are going to have to figure out how to incorporate that, how to incorporate those developments into their framework for security, for license management, for uh, maintaining applications, uh, how they fit into, like you were talking about, ERP apps. How many of those apps are going to end up being like the access databases that people were creating in the 90s, and connecting to ERP, supplying data to ERP. And then when that marketing person left, who takes care of that application? Who takes care of that uh, little database that's on somebody's 486 PC? That proliferation is gonna become a problem for organizations, but it also creates an enormous opportunity for companies to build things that really offer them differentiation and to build them For the little things, right? Another thing that I think Preeti would probably agree with is that whether it's a tool like HashiCorp or a tool like Public Cloud or a tool like Marks Edgevana, the goal is to lower the barrier to entry to getting what you're going to do next started. Yeah. That's the whole goal. Because if, if Amazon makes it easy enough for you to develop on their environment, if HashiCorp makes it easy enough to own and manage infrastructure and cloud installations, if Mark Teeley makes it easy enough for you to buy new data center locations or deploy global networks or deploy global bare metal as a service, then you're likely to do it for more objectives than you otherwise would, because everything is about ROI. And if you lower the barrier to entry, you are lowering the, R- the, the cost of entry, right? And so there's likely to be an explosion of applications because people will be able to create an application In a few hours, that solves a problem for only five people in the organization where historically it never would have been worth assigning a a coder to work on it.
0: So your story there before I pass the ball to Preeti is super relevant. Uh, We had some of the low-code, no-code companies on our show, and one of them talked about how uh, one of the major airlines, it was not the developers, it was not the engineers, it was not the CTO, it was not the CIO, it was the baggage handlers on the ground figured out a way to get that information better so they could find lost luggage. Yeah. So they're, they're like lost luggage receipt ticket system was transformed by the baggage handlers and the and the gate agents who, right. you know, if you've ever lost baggage, I have. you have to Go to the office. It's usually kind of massive line. Yep. They scan your bag tag. They like, and they used to write it down on a piece of paper. Like, <laughs> they write it down on a piece of paper, and then I think they handed that ticket to like the luggage guy. Like, go find this. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, know. Very,
1: very reminiscent of the sloth behind the desk at the DMV.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I couldn't believe it. I was like, what do you mean the bag handlers themselves figured out? I was like, they knew the process, but it was the first time they had the tools to be like, well, if you gave me this here while I'm on the ground in my, like my terminal, in my hand, I would be able to identify it much faster.
1: Right. Right. Because
0: he was saying like they, when they, they have to scan it twice off the plane and then at central loading. It's like, but. This is a very simple thing the data did not come as they scanned it yeah right. so it would have to go to central loading
2: yeah Albert you you reminded me of this story the my bag loss story is uh, uh, there was one time we were flying to delhi and um, our bag got lost and then we were going to a, another remote place and so our bag showed up 4 days later and it was delivered on one of those tuk-tuks so yeah <laughs> that, that was kind of the the tech gap uh, story. But anyway, kind of going back to, I agree, I think, you know, when Mark was sort of talking about the explosion, this, this reminded me of my first few weeks at Yahoo, what I inherited was spreadsheets worth of tools that had been written where there was nobody at Yahoo any longer, yet they were used in production. And so, you know, the first kind of Quarter couple quarters was like an exercise in archaeology, right? So, (laughs) I I, but I agree it's going to happen, and I think I think the the lesson that I've learned uh, is embrace it and put a little bit of structure around it. So, for instance, uh, with a tool like Terraform and the concept of infrastructure as code, uh, you know, can you at least have everything in GitHub where you've got pointers to what's being Uh, deployed, what's running, Uh, you know, can you at least connect everything with a tool like console where you've got a service registry that tells you where everything is running, right? So kind of put enough of the guardrails where you're embracing this explosion of applications, yet you're doing it in a way where when there is a security incident, you can track things down. When an engineer leaves, you know what needs to be transitioned, right? And, um, you know, kind of a little bit of insight into how we are looking, kind of applying those lessons uh, here, right? We I'd mentioned that part of my role is also running IT here. And uh, uh, one of our sort of strategic initiatives is to use Terraform to do IT, right? So anything that needs automation, we want to just Terraform it. And so, we'll have kind of a record in github around kind of what's going on and uh, hopefully hopefully sort of learn the lessons from the past and and sort of you know reap some benefits as uh, this explosion happens here
0: so that goes back to like you know and this is the constant i guess chicken or egg cart or horse it doesn't matter what the conversation is or the analogy is but like we agree people are going to innovate fast we agree that people want to move fast and they have great intentions and we also agree that at the top, someone wants to control or oversee this. <laughs> so, <laughs> so pretty. how do you begin? you know, you kind of you kind of mentioned embrace it, embrace it." But if you could give advice to someone who's listening to you and saying like, "Okay, I'm, I, my organization starting to get big? My developers are starting to build not only products for customers, but they're actually building tooling for us just to work better. I want to start to keep track of it." Give me a recommendation. What are some things that you would say to that new tech leader? Like, hey, this is a good system to use. You kind of mentioned before that you're using Terraform for scripting into GitHub, uh, but that's that's your application. I'd love to hear like some of the other strategies you're deploying to make sure you understand, you know, just your ecosystem, the the HashiCorp ecosystem. And then I'm not talking about consumer products. I'm talking about internal projects. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think my number one advice there is to create like a small internal platforms team and charter that team with making the engineers successful in kind of the proliferation of this apps and tooling that's going to happen, right? And, And so what that internal platform team can do is you know, create sort of a self-service environment where they can use tooling like ours or others, right? Where getting a, a cloud environment is really easy, but it happens through sort of a layer where you know what's happening and you can just kind of track it and you can clean up after it and so on, right? So that sort of notion of that internal platform and it can be as, as sort of, simple or complex as kind of the needs of the company, but just, you know, putting that focus on your employee experience and actually putting some resources behind making that employee experience being world-class and and using the, the tooling that does exist. I think that goes a really long way in embracing this, in making your employees productive, in hopefully retaining more and kind of like answering back again, sort of that, that great resignation. Yeah. I I'd say definitely think about that internal platforms
0: org. No, that's, that's a good point. Mark, you know, when you think about, when you think about the same thing, the same challenge, typically the more enterprise it goes, the more control they want, especially the non, I mean, especially in non-software companies, I know they say every company is going to be a software company, but like, you know, like if my business is I'm a billion dollar cookie business, like, I might not be a software company yet. I sell cookies at retail. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, but those organizations tend to want to, I feel like they want to control more things. You know, I'd love to, cause you tend to, I think, work with a lot of these as your customers or, you know, give us an idea of how they're going to go about it because they, they do the same thing as I, I know. Cause one of my clients was a big, big time cookie maker. You know them, you know, billion dollar cookie brand. They have a couple of them. <laughs> but like, if you wanted to do anything internally regarding software, pretty, I'm telling you, like, it it wasn't like the way you described it. It was, (laughs) it was, it was not like that at all. Give us an idea, Mark, of how they're going to have to deal with this because, because they want great talent too. They, they, they want great talent too. And you guys have both said it. Like, if you make it hard for me to work for you, I'll work for someone else.
1: Yeah. There, there are um, a number of things that pretty said that I thought were uh, incredibly important. And so I'm just going to try to add to that monopoly of things that are, that are really required. And I am probably getting almost to the point of boring to people that have heard me more than five or six times talk about this. But when we watch uh, the 49ers lose and they lose four or five times in a row, do we blame the running back? Do we blame the tight end or do we blame the coach? <laughs> the coach or the general manager? Yeah. Or sometimes both. <laughs> right. Who gets fired when a team doesn't make it to the Super Bowl too many times? You blame the coach. Right. And yet, all too often in organizations, we batter the people at the end of the chain as if every person on a team somehow has failed. And what in reality is, is that the math, the math of a team of even four people where the whole team failed because of all four of those people only, the math is astronomical. The problem is the leader. And so if you don't establish the environment of trust, of give and take, of by example of the appropriate reward systems, then you're likely an organization that is looking for control and control is like the mirage on the hot highway in front of you. You keep driving towards it and you never get to that water. can't get it. You never get to it. And all you end up doing is measuring things that have almost zero impact. On your customer satisfaction, on your profitability, on the growth of your company. And they serve to increase turnover, which is just an additional negative impact on your revenue, on your bottom line, and on your customer. And I could preach on this for hours, but a good friend of mine, Jonathan Feldman, CIO for Asheville, we were talking about this over Twitter a few months back, and he made the great example is, and I'm paraphrasing, but effectively, how good will your customer support be if your support agents are the prisoners in the prison, right? And if we're treating our employees like they're the prisoners of our company, what kind of example are we going to set for them that they would set with your customers? And so this idea of control is a misnomer. I'm a huge believer in a lot of the things that Bill and Dave, I started at HP. I actually had the privilege of meeting Bill and Dave while I was at HP. Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard, for for the folks who are too young to remember those two giants (laughs) of the industry. And they had a couple of things that I really loved. One of them was management by walking around, which is a little more difficult when people are all over the world, but the theory still applies. But the other one is that everyone really wants, most everyone really wants to do the right thing. They want to be able to do their job. And your best bet is not to cater to the one in 10 or one in 20 or one in 100 who are failures. Your job is to cater to the other 95% that are successful. It's like this. It's a great example of when companies are going through tough times and they think they shouldn't tell their employees stuff because there might be one person in the company who quits out of outrage or deletes their files or whatever they might do in anger because of this news of an acquisition or divestiture or a future layoff or something. Hmm. You have decided that every one of your students have to stay after class, right? One kid throws the eraser, the whole class has to stay after. And that makes no sense from a leadership strategy. Focus your energies on what people do well individually, get them to maximize where they are, have the most potential. Instead of spending 80% of your time on a place where they can add 20% value, spend 20% of your time on a place where they can add 80% value. And the same thing goes to the larger picture. Focus on what the group of people in general are likely to be able to accomplish if you give them fertile ground to work in instead of targeting the one person who might be an <laughs> a-
0: No, I like the way you frame that, right? Like you said, how, why would your support agents do a good job by your customer when they feel like they are in prison to you enslaved? Like They, yeah. they yeah. might have you know, thoughts about leaving, not interested in solving this problem. They want to get out from under the thumb, all types of things. Before we close, because we're running to close to the top of the hour, I wanted to ask a more fun, lighthearted question. You know, I'd love for you guys to tell me what someone should build for you. So imagine there's a bunch of engineers listening to this. We've been talking about the employee experience, what it's going to take for a company to retain engineering talent, how they have to develop, how we have to embrace proliferation of technology. Like that's, that's going to happen. That's the new norm. But there's also things that we need or want. And I'd love, I'd love for you guys to each share, you know, what is something that doesn't exist? Cause we all work in this new environment. What is something that doesn't exist today that there's an engineer out there? They're like, yo, I'd love for someone to solve this problem. What problem or what thing would you like? We'll start with pretty. You got a big, big team. You got lots of projects going on. What does not exist or what would you like improved for you?
2: You know, I think uh, the one piece that stands out for me is how can we build more social connections in a remote environment, right? Like all of us are tired of just getting on a Zoom, right? So what, I don't know what <laughs> what it is, what shape it would take, but my wish would be that sitting at home, I can connect more socially with team members. Uh, and you know, Mark was talking about kind of the, the, the walk around, uh, piece, right? Like the equivalent of that, you know, how can I just connect with somebody and uh, not leave my study here? Right. That's what I want.
0: Mark, how about yourself? What would you like built for you?
1: Well, I love the one that uh, pretty suggested, but uh, I'm going to take one that's even more, um, personal is that, uh, I will tell anyone that works for me or works with me, what my weaknesses are, because my team understands my weaknesses better. They can accommodate those weaknesses and I can hire to fill those weaknesses. One of my own personal weaknesses, because historically I've always had a really, really good memory, is that I assume that I can go to a long, complex meeting and walk away and remember everything that I'm supposed to do, that other people are supposed to do, (laughs) that I'm supposed to follow up on. Uh, I'm, I'm going to remember that because an email popped up an hour ago, that that's an email that I don't need to worry about today, but I should worry about tomorrow. I'm going to remember somehow magically all of that stuff. I would love an AI tool that could learn me and accommodate me in all of my weaknesses around the daily activities of keeping my job alive, right? Like the second reminder on another device from my, um, for important meetings from Outlook or the note that um, if I ignored it on my phone twice, pops up in a red flashing light or something and says, what the hell is your problem? Deal with this now. <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm being a little bit sarcastic, but realistically, I really would love to be able to say because I'm I am not you know, I could spend all of my energy trying to be better organizationally around those things. And then I would likely fail at the things that I am naturally super good at. And so filling that hole um, without having to ask someone else to spend hours and hours being bored to death around me so that they could accommodate for me would be awesome.
0: That would be super cool. And you guys have both hit on my actual, my product is a combination of both your products. My product is I need a summarization tool. I need something that can summarize what I have now learned about a customer through Phone call through chats through, because we how we communicate with customers now, it's phones, it's chats, it's Zoom, it's virtual, it's email. I need a summary tool that can take in all this information and write a summary for me and give that as my status update on an account, because I can't tell you how much time I spend each day just telling somebody else, writing it up to tell someone else what's going on. So if we, had, if we had that summarization piece, that'd be so nice. That way you could then, pretty, you could then, before you even get into the Zoom meeting, like Zoom might be a lot more fun if you didn't have to summarize what you were doing.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Let me know when you find this too.
0: <laughs> well, Mark, Preeti, I appreciate you joining us today on IT Visionaries, sharing your experiences and your thoughts on employee experience and what it means during this time period of the great resignation yeah, there's more power in an engineer's hands than ever to choose. And for a company, if you want to keep great talent, you're going to have to create a great culture. You know, I think you guys kind of said it, the tools aren't nearly as important as the opportunity to build, create, and not feel like you're being, you know, surveillanced or
1: something. Certainly a big part of it. Absolutely.
0: Pretty Mark, thanks for joining us today on
1: IT Visionaries.
2: Thanks for having me.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure.